Christian Emmys or what's what's the music award? Is it Grammys or Emmys? I I, why are you looking Gram- at me? Grammys. I think Grammys. So it's like the Christian Grammys. And I remember what's it called? Uh, the Dove Awards. Like normally it's Oh Dove Oh, oh I thought yeah, you said dove. the devil words. I was no. like, why would they call <laughs> that Dove seems, like, uh, like a nice. flying dove? Oh, no, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, okay, Dove. So, like, oh, that's the Hello, and welcome to the Inconclusive Podcast, where we randomly select topics and argue about them. Coming up Inconclusive, my name is James. My name is Abigail. And my name is Candice. All three of us are educators at an international school in Taiwan and bring wildly different perspectives to the table. Be sure to follow us on social media at The Inconclusive Podcast on Instagram and Facebook or email us at theinconclusivepodcast at gmail.com. Don't forget to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. It's important to note that our individual opinions do not necessarily reflect those of our employer. Okay, Okay, let's let's begin. Hello and welcome to the newest episode of the Inconclusive Podcast. I'm here with James and Candice. Hey all. Sup guys. And this is episode two on our series on doctrine. And today we are going to be talking about church traditions. Woo woo. Specifically, we're going to be answering the question, are church traditions doctrine? Tradition. Tradition. As we all know, doctrine is kind of the set, the core set of things that people believe in. But before we begin, I want to define the word tradition. So to define tradition, um, tradition is the transmission of customs being passed down from generation to generation. And then customs can be defined as traditional and widely accepted ways of behaving or doing something. So with those being our definitions, before we kind of go any farther, I want to ask, but as always, what are y'all opi- y'all's knee-jerk opinions on this topic? Do you think that traditions should be considered doctrine? Specifically thinking in the realm of Christianity, of course. I think, isn't, wouldn't, wouldn't you consider tradition, sorry, wouldn't you consider doctrine itself to be a tradition? As in, where do doctrines come from? Because in my mind, doctrines, the Bible isn't a set of doctrine. It is it's stories, it's poetry, and we extrapolate doctrine out of it, right? I can see that. We extrapolate themes and motifs and storylines out of it that we consider to be core in yeah. our belief. Yeah, we take the lessons that And we so, need. I mean, in my mind, um, their tradition and doctrine are hard to separate. Um, but I do think there have been bad Christian traditions and there have been um, unbiblical doctrines that the church has propagated throughout its course, um, which I think are part of the church being fallen and affected by sin and humans being part of the church. So, I, th- I mean, I think for me it's it's hard to separate, but I do think church traditions are really important as are doctrines that we pass on from generation to generation. I feel like there's a fine line between tradition and liturgy. Like, mm. I feel like there's there's value in the traditions that, that are routine actions of making space for Christ in our hearts and mind and lives and days. But then, like, 
pew shapes, for example. Like, like there's just because we were like, eh, we need a place to sit and we don't know how many people are going to need to sit on a row. So now let's have just a giant piece of wood for people to sit on. And then we had pews now in a lot of churches. But now there's more non-traditional seating even in sanctuaries. And those are considered like Yeah, like those more... folding chairs and you got to like carry it out yep. after church, you know? Yep. And it's really the, stack as many chairs All the good Christian boys are like flexing, you know, I've, I've got a stack of like 18. <laughs> Look at me. Yeah. So I feel like traditions are kind of, they're, they're only as useful insofar as they push us towards Christ insofar as they're like mm-hmm. saying, Hey, like it's that time of day or that's time. It's this time for us to make space to, to look up or look inward and to listen. You know, I, I like how you're talking about like the pews and the chairs and the non-traditional seating. It was really interesting while I was like researching this episode. One of the things I was like, church traditions, like trying to think of like, like whole whatever beliefs, you know what I mean? Kind of more, maybe more doctrine, like how you, how we were talking about it earlier things and I was trying to find some stuff and this article popped up and it was like the top 10 Christian traditions that churches just can't let go of. And I was like, Oh, interesting. And I clicked into was it. Was it a vulture article? Was it a Vox? No, 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 it wasn't. Was it, it, a was, Buzzfeed? <laughs> it was like in some Christian magazine. Um, but, but <laughs> no, the first one, the first one was order of service. Mm. It was like, Having like, like an hour Evangelicals service. were like, you can't, it was like the number one Invocation. that has to look this way and it has to be in this way and we can't change Pass it. Pass the offering plate. Right. Sermon. It's this exact. Ooh, when did, when did you guys do the offering? Before, before. Or after the sermon? Ooh, it was after, during evangelical uh, guest speaker visits. It was like, oh, and now that you've heard them speak here, here's uh-huh. to help them on their journey. <laughs> and they're like, okay. Oh, to help. Oh, I see. I see. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, we never passed the plate. I didn't my, so my dad's a pastor and that was like, they one passed of, a bag. That was one of the big things that he was like, he doesn't want ever, never wanted people to feel like they had to give money if they mm. came to church. Um, that tithing is between you and God. Mm. And so there was just boxes in the back. That's and then so they would just announce it with the morning announcements. Just hmm. so you know, there are boxes in the back. In Taiwanese churches, you tithe. And you put your name on it and they actually track how much you give. And it's, yeah, it's kind and of, it's, it's really, it's really strange. It's like visible. Yeah, it? they announce it. So, well, it's what? your number. So there's every every member of a church, you have a number. And so they'll pub- they'll publish it so that like, you know, if you're number 242, you've given 3,000 NT this month. So you only, you know your number. You know your number. So you know how much you've given and tithed, but it's public. So it's not, so it's not your name on it. It's the number. Well, some... Different churches do it differently. Some churches, oh. they'll blank out, like, you know, because it's three characters in your name. Usually, yeah. they'll blank out the third one. Oh. Or, sorry, the second one. So, they know it's like, oh, it's a Lee something. Good grief. So, if it's that a stranger, no. they won't horrifying. know who you That is horrifying. Why would... The, what? Why? Well, it's just... I mean, every... But... Every area and every culture group kind of has their own take on different doctrinal perspectives. And that kind of makes that sense to like me, though. But that, that seems, seems like that a pride thing. That makes sense to me, though, in, like, Taiwanese culture, too, a little bit, though, like, with... Maybe I'm wrong. I might be really overstepping. But from what I know, very limited. Abigail, the expert on Taiwanese culture. <laughs> very much not. Of. I'm not saying that. <laughs> um, but, like, rank, even ranking in schools, right? Like, they mm. rank oh, yeah, kids they in schools. Test scores, and yeah. so that kind mm-hmm. of... To me, that follows through. And they're being private because they're not publishing your full name, like... You know what I mean? They're giving you some yeah. sense of decency. And they do say that, like, it's... Before they collect offering, they, they do explain, like, what it is to newcomers. Yeah. Mm. When, yeah. The While we're talking about church traditions, I, I went to a very, like, traditional, conservative, small Baptist church all growing up 
or a good chunk of growing up. And I remember one day that was a real clash of tradition versus modern times was, uh, my dad had put together like a youth rally thing and we had bust in a bunch of kids that normally wouldn't go into the main service. Like they would just go to like the youth service. And we like, there was a miscommunication between, uh, the, what the pastor, the visiting pastor was doing that day and what he was like, we, we need to like sp- have a message for, for everyone that everyone can hear no matter like their age or anything else. And what instead happened was a gospel singing group that the main guy was like, guys, I just want, I just want to take it back for a second. I'm going to sing about that old time religion. And he sang about, give me that old time religion. And like for at least 15 minutes and all of the youth group was just roaring, laughing. Like every kid that had come just for that first night was just like, what is this that we're listening to? Why are we singing about religion? What is going on? And all of the adults were yelling at them for, for not behaving properly, even though they weren't, they weren't members. It's not like they knew anything about what a church service should look like. Wait, they came to a youth group, but they didn't. Yeah. So like there was the Sunday night time and the pastor of the church wanted all of the youth group instead of doing doing their normal Sunday night service in the Which youth building. Which their normal youth group didn't have anything to do with religion? No, the normal youth group would be in the other building. The non-traditional. Non-traditional. Like contemporary music. Contemporary music, like like oh. youth group Bible study, oh, like, oh, and then instead had to go I'm to like, the main service. what kind of service. youth group? They're like surprised to hear about religion. <laughs> yeah, but we like, like, oh, this is a church? Is really you bust me to a church? Ab- well, but the, another thing is that we really hate talking about Christianity <laughs> as as a religion. Like, that was something that oh, was really Oh, is it like it's a relationship kind of thing? Yes, all growing we never called Christianity that's a religion. tradition that we can get behind it's, it's a good one it's also kind of interesting because it's like you're saying that's a tradition we can get behind but it's almost a rebellion against a tradition right it like, is but it, because we've repeated it it's right. now a tradition it's interesting it's <laughs> yeah. interesting how they happen and they happen because you know someone wants something mm-hmm. and then ever, the cascading events what do you mean someone, want? someone wants well, like an at some answer point, to someone point. doesn't want to call Christianity a religion, it's a relationship. Someone's like, this is the new way to look at it. Oh, and it's okay. nice because it's an alliteration. Yeah. It's two R words, so it sounds cool <laughs> when you say it out loud. Relationship, not Same religion. Same thing with what would Jesus do? Like, that's been around oh, for like yeah. 60 years now, 50 years, like the 70s or 60s. What would you, WWJD was on bracelets and everything. It just sounds cool, and so people kept doing it. And with that, we'll take a quick break. And welcome to Elusive Illusions with Candace, where I do not do magic with illusions, but explain references used in film, music, or literature. Today's illusion is Good Samaritan. Good Samaritan means someone who shows kindness to a stranger, usually going out of their way to do so. It came from Jesus's parable in Luke 10, 25 to 37. In this parable, a priest, a Levite, and a Samaritan saw a traveler on the side of the road. Only the Samaritan stopped to help the traveler who had been beaten even though people from Samaria were considered social outcasts at that time. We hear this illusion used in Christmas movies, where someone is offering to help another person in the spirit of kindness. Here's how you would use this illusion in a sentence. She was a good Samaritan when she showed kindness to the new girl. Good Samaritan. (laughs) 
Welcome back. Before the break, we were talking a little bit about different traditions in different areas. We were actually specifically we're talking about like religion as, or Christianity as a relationship, not a religion, WWJD, and those kinds of things as well as a little bit about tithing as well. And it kind of ties us in to our first, my first point um, about how... It tithes us in? Ties. Oh. T-I-E-S. No, that, that was a costly pun. Oh my gosh. Yikes, y'all. Okay. I'd say that was probably 10%. Mm, I give it a 10%. Probably a little more, it's a actually. Little painful for me. I, I don't want to offer any more than that. Oh my <laughs> gosh. Guys. <sighs> this definitely ties in, though, to the idea of how traditions change because of people. And so um, kind of going back to what James said at the very beginning about how doctrine and traditions are really can be really tied together, um, I think that's kind of an interesting thing to think about as we go through this as well. But um, people in our world, like in on earth, are what creates traditions. And so I want to start with talking about a little bit about the nature of man, which we have talked pretty ad nauseum about in season one. But if you're joining us fresh for season two, here we go. So wait, 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 wait. Am I allowed to debate that first point that you made? That, that, we've tra- talked that all nauseam? traditions are start start by start by humans? Oh. What do you mean? Well, I mean Oh, because like cause Old like, Testament. Old like, Testament that was Jesus all started. Up, or not Jesus, God set up Deuteronomy. God's, there was plenty of traditions that I don't think anyone would have adopted because they were countercultural at that time. That, that were like started tabernacle. by God. No pork. And I mean, like, just the idea of, like, setting yourself apart from culture. If if we're going to say that human tradition is all originating from human choices or human decisions, then I think that eliminates a lot of the Old Testament, which we would, I think, would be, would consider important traditionally, although we may not practice all of it, but they had important meaning for so those then, people. I guess, that, I guess there, to me, there's a distinction between following the law and tradition, so, but the law was passed down as customs from generation to generation. And then at a certain point, at a certain point, I mean, maybe we're starting to like... Though that isn't church tradition. That would be like... Well, but it is tradition, right? Because church just refers to the body of believers after Christ. Right. Right. And so... So like the only st- thing I remember they were struggling still with was requiring circumcision in the new church. And then Paul was like, dude, you don't need it. Like everyone is new in Christ. Like it, like you can. So do then, it. I guess we're debating whether Paul is getting that from himself, or if he's inspired by God yeah. to say those. So, words. what I was going to get at about the Old Testament too is, by the time that um, we were getting closer to the time of Jesus, I would also, if that had been the stuff that I had been looking at, but I would argue that um, those traditions are starting to become more integrated with what man wanted anyway, and they weren't really following the the laws and the rules entirety that God had sent by anyway because of the nature of man. Well, I think they were missing the point of the traditions. But I wouldn't say it's traditions. I would say it's the laws. I think Those traditions are, are man made. No, I see. I disagree. I think. But that based on the definition man-made. you've given, they're the same thing. Of the transmission of a custom, of a behavior right. of doing something being passed down from generation to generation. Well, I guess maybe both. we can parse out what the difference is for you because. It, I mean, maybe it's because we're talking about church traditions that we want to like keep it separate from law. I feel like law is. I mean, law is a tradition given by God. I mean, I guess technically. And like so then, secular law is a tradition given by people. So it still passes down yeah. regardless. 
I mean, anything that's passed down consistently through a set group of people. And it's a behavior. It is a behavior. And it does regulate what is accepted. I will concede that okay. in the Old Testament. Whoa. No way. We can call Yahweh. I'll save this. Oh, my oh gosh. No. Candace. <laughs> You know Sorry, that tradition about not using the Lord's name in vain? Really fun actually, Jewish tradition. I actually think it's really cool, and I think about it a lot. But that in Jewish... <laughs> Abigail spending her <laughs> Sunday evenings thinking about Jewish traditions. No, this is thinking. actually one of my favorite Jewish traditions, and I've often thought about like considering adopting it, and then I never do. But is it one about bread, like challah bread? No, it's the one where they bread. don't write the word God. Oh, yeah. They, they write G-X-D. Is that cultural appropriation, you think? No, I would just say that I think it's cultural appropriation because it's because of a religious background, mm-hmm. not, and it's because of Old Testament like commands of oh, not using yeah. the Lord's name in vain. So if you're writing it without praying it, then it's in, you don't need to be using it, which is why you could use the X. It's actually why the Bible has Lord instead of Yahweh written yeah, in it. True. I have a question. Is so separate, we're going to go to an entirely different worldview for a minute. You know how when people write Muhammad in print, then they put peace they be don't. upon him? They don't. They're not supposed or, to. Or the prophet, peace be upon him, in parentheses after it? Like, you know, when you see it like... I don't I know mean, that. you're not be supposed to even him, write PBUA. any part of the Quran that in another language. I, I remember reading somewhere... But whenever and, like, Muhammad from, is mentioned, you have may peace be upon him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah but yeah. they would put it as abbreviated yeah. instead. Yeah. Is that probably part of the way to get around that of like you're not writing the actual phrase peace be upon him? Maybe? Perhaps. Yeah. But I think it's also like, I mean, when you show, I think when you show reverence to someone, maybe like an, an example that I can think of is when someone passes away for a little bit, you're like, mm. God rest his soul or, mm. God, you know, like people are still like rest in peace mm-hmm. for whoever, even though... Rip has kind of been hijacked as this kind of like <laughs> colloquial fa- phrase of just like you stink. Oof. It's like the new oof. Yeah, the new oof. Um, Rip. But yeah. Anyway, back to back to Christianity. So slash church, church traditions would have all stemmed from man. Um, and I could would you say give that. some examples? Sorry, I keep interrupting you. I just want to understand. You mentioned oh. like service order earlier. Yeah, like service, okay, order, service order, type of music, um, meeting weekly instead of any other type. That's a that's not biblical. But uh, is that supposed to be mimicking Sabbath? But is it okay? But that brings but a really interesting not. point. Is it really Sabbath though? Because you're not resting if you're going to church, <laughs> especially if not if you're the pastor <laughs> speaking yeah. or the, the pastor's of a, wife. If we're oh, being yeah. honest here, Jeez. I, I read a book in pastor's wives called Super Underrated. Yes. You rock, mom. Yes, um, I read my a book. mom also rocks. My my mom also rocks as a youth pastor's wife. Um, this book oh, dude, called Ruthless hard. Is that Elimination of Hurry, oh, written by okay. a pastor back in, I don't know how many years ago, but uh, he wrote about how uh, being a pastor and having like five services on a Sunday, it like totally broke him. And he was like, I had to step away and re-examine everything that I was doing. And it made, by the end of it, he, he made it to where their Sabbath is they lock all of their tech in a box. They bake and cook everything that they'll need for that day, the day before. And they, uh, like, Everyone is at home for that day, and they nap. They play board games. Awesome. They take the food out of the out of the kitchens. Like as little as I can do on that day, they do. And I feel like that's kind of the spirit behind the Sabbath. It's exactly the spirit behind like the total Sabbath. Rest. Yeah. My my parents down. started really relatively recently taking like intentional Sabbaths. They don't do it every week. I don't think. I don't think there's no way they could, but I'm thinking of their schedules in my head, but they go backpacking, which is Mm. the same idea. So they'll go spend a night in the wilderness somewhere and then come back. 
So all the these traditions that you mentioned, um, they seem to be not biblical. Yeah. Would you say that there are church traditions that are biblical? I would say that there's a lot of church traditions that want to be biblical. Um, we're like going to talk. They're made in the spirit behind. Yeah, idea. but they're adding things on top of. So thinking we're going to talk a little bit later about modesty culture. That's like a huge one for me, but also tithing. The idea mm. of tithing, biblical idea of tithing is you should give 10%, but give in your heart what you are set to give. Um, and then like we talked about at the beginning, people pass the plate and there's this expectation that you're giving at least 10%. And if you're not, then are you doing a good job? But the spirit is that God wants you to come across with an open heart, right? Like that's the point of the tithing. So would you consider things like baptism to be tradition? Yeah. Yeah, I would. So then would you say that aside from like there, I'm, there's debates about like how you should baptize, dunking or whatever, but like, I, to me, like I'm still struggling to distinguish, I guess, because in my mind there's preferences and then there's doctrine and there are things that are, that I would say church tradition sometimes includes both doctrines and personal or personal or community or cultural preferences. And so then it, in my mind, like there are traditions that are doctrinal and are biblical, you know, things like confession. Oh yeah. So or, having it as a practice versus holding it as a value because of scripture, knowing it to be true, like a, that it's good for us to confess our sins to yeah. one because we're commanded to it in scripture, but making it routine, making or like it like praying structured. for people, like praying for people. Yeah. Like that's a tradition. Because we do it. I would mm-hmm. say that's fairly biblical. Praying a certain number of times in a service per church. Well, I wouldn't... So that starts to get more traditional, too. I think like that we the beginning and the end, as well as before the sermon and after Well, pray... I done. mean, pray always. Yeah. Okay. I think where the problem starts to come in for me is that a lot of things that maybe have these really awesome biblical roots or very clear biblical roots, like... Um, praying for people or baptism, you start, we start to get into a position or a place where we start to take that thing and hold it up as this is what we need to do. And if you're doing X, Y, and Z, very liturgical and it becomes an idol. And with that, we'll take a quick break. Hello, and welcome to Hilarious Happenings in History, where I explore strange but true events from human history. Today's event is the defenestration of Prague in 1618. Defenestration refers to being thrown out of a window, typically by or into an angry mob. At the beginning of the 1600s, tensions between the Catholics and Protestants were escalating, as authorities were attempting to decide the succession of regional kings in the Holy Roman Empire. A meeting in the Kingdom of Bohemia between regents from the Catholic and Protestant sectors resulted in three Catholics being thrown out of the third-floor window. Surprisingly, the three Catholics survived and claimed that they were saved by the hand of God. In response, the Protestants claimed years later that they had survived simply because they fell into a carriage full of horse dung. This particular defenestration was a big factor leading to the Thirty Years' War, which cost several million lives in the mid-1600s. Thanks for listening to hilarious and sometimes sad happenings in history. Catch you next time.
Welcome back. Candace, I think you had something to say. So before the break, you mentioned the liturgy as this bad thing. And I think you meant legalism as a bad thing. I feel like a lot of liturgy, the like we evangelicals ha- look at some liturgical practices in the church and we're like, oh, that's just this legalistic, like ultra conservative traditional structure. And there's nothing left in it that is Jesus. Everything in it is just man's traditions that are dusty and old and gross. But I feel like there's, there's truth to be found in liturgical practices. And I'm trying to kind of rediscover that personally myself as like means of rest. And that was like ruthless elimination of hurry. Also, I highly recommend another book, uh, by, Jefferson Jefferson Bathke, I think is his name. Uh, he's the guy who made the YouTube video. He's a slam poet or a spoken word poet about uh, loving Jesus but hating religion back in like 2012. Oh, yeah, that yeah. guy. Yeah. And, but he wrote a book called To Hell that was the quite Hustle. An up, that was quite an uproar. It was. It was a big thing. And now he's written, I think, two or three books since. And I don't know. I don't think he's a pastor, but I think he's like like heavily involved in their, in his church, but his book to hell with the hustle is awesome. And the title is hilarious, but in it, he (laughs) talks about it, how like evangelicals, we like, like evangelicals still to this day, we have liturgical practices. It's just our liturgical practices don't look like the, the traditional churches. He even gave like just the modern world of Think about Apple stores, how they're meant to be feel different than normal stores. They're meant to feel like cavernous and large and open and white spaces of that call your eyes up. We look at our phones every time they ding, we look down, we like scroll and do these repetitive practices of looking through our phone. Like we're we're showing up at the church of Apple, even if we're not showing up in the liturgical practices of a church body, we're still we still do routine, we still do tradition in other areas. But I think there is value to be found in liturgy whenever it is seen as an act of love, whenever we're doing it as an act of love, which I think you were trying to get at a minute ago about like the heart behind what we're doing. So if like our heart is set in using this moment of tradition or, or liturgy as, as a time to call our eyes up or to call our eyes away from everything that's distracting us for Jesus, like fixing our eyes on the author and perfecter of our faith, that kind of thing. I feel like that's where there's value in it. But legalism, I think, is where we use those and say, you have to be doing this practice a certain number of times, certain number of days in order for it to be acceptable. I would agree with you, although I did mean liturgical, mm-hmm. because I do think that when we start to add in certain specific traditions and routines into churches yeah. without considering changing them from time to time, yeah, then rigid. it starts to become, it starts to become legalism, right? It, right? It's this, it's this balance, right? We are, we're people, right? I think routines, okay. Routines I think are really, really valuable. If yeah. you walk into my classroom at any specific time of the day, like they have, there's a, depending on the day of the week, there's a certain thing that is happening, like mm-hmm. regardless, um, unless it's, some kind of a funky week. I'm a huge fan unless of Unless it's like Olympic Day. Right. <laughs> unless it's like Olympic Day or Science Week or something like that. Mm-hmm. It, if you come into my classroom at um, 12 o'clock, I am doing a read aloud. If you mm-hmm. come in on a Monday at 12.15, they're doing grammar. Mm-hmm. Like it's very, it's very specific because I think there is 
like you were saying, kind of a little bit of rest and being able to know what's coming. There's mm-hmm. not a surprise of these things. Mm-hmm. But just like in our routines that we have in our lives and in our classrooms too, every now and again, it needs to be shaken up so it doesn't mm-hmm. become such a, I'm doing this to do this, to do this. And you're starting to miss out on the point behind it, right? It's becoming muscle memory and not the heart. Oh, I know that I go to church and then I sit here and then I say this, we do this prayer and we have these announcements and we listen to this many songs. And then there's this long of a sermon and then there's one more song and then we leave. Like Mm -hmm. it starts to become this able to shut yourself off mm-hmm. as well, yeah. right? Yeah. But then also with other parts of liturgy. Um, so I'm going to think specifically Catholic for a second. I'm mm-hmm. going like, to like leave the evangelical world for a minute and head into to Catholicism. There's a lot of liturgy in Catholicism that is used to, to condemn people, mm-hmm. right? You're not going to confession enough. You're not doing enough of this kind of a prayer. You're not your praying to the right people. Your kid wasn't baptized six months old. Yeah, your kid wasn't baptized. You didn't do these things. You haven't recited this thing and you haven't gone to this place and you haven't done this. Therefore, you're condemned. Mm. Um, and I think that evangelicals, generally speaking, do a better job of that. Mm. Mostly, but there are a lot of holes into which we fall into, oh, you're not dressed the right way yeah. or you're not, um, you're wearing saggy pants and you're in the sanctuary. You should leave. You have like, tattoos. I remember we had like our deacons, you, like at some point would like, or not deacons. I think it was just older men in the church. Like were going up to kids in our youth group saying like, you need to go change. And they're like, not Christians that were there visiting and were told to walk in and like, what? And then they just left. And it's yeah. like, that's yeah. clearly not how. <laughs> I remember when we were at our church in Texas. Mm-hmm. Um, so my dad is, so we, Southern Baptist Convention Churches, I think when we were in Texas, it was a non-denominational church. But, um, non-denom. But, a good non-denom. But that was like in the late 90s, early 2000s mm-hmm. time. So there's still a lot of like expectation of dress was mm-hmm. a big thing. Um, and my dad's never preached in a suit and tie. Um, my mom does not wear dresses or skirts. And uh, when I remember as a kid, there we, it was like back when you were like sending flyers, like via the mail to get mm-hmm. people to come. And I remember there was a big push at our church for the come as you are. Like I remember mm-hmm. for several years, these different really cool, I remember they're just really cool um, little flyers that we sent out. And the whole thing was that you can come to church in jeans. It's okay. You don't have to wear, you know, your Sunday best right. to be able to come and worship, right? Because God doesn't care about that. Yeah. Um, and I think there's that line between more conservative, like denominations or more, maybe not more conservative, more liturgical denominations saying, mm-hmm. well, how dare you even show up in God's house mm-hmm. and not be as respectful as you could be by wearing your best, mm. which starts to miss the point, right? Because right. you're excluding people. Just like you said, these kids who had not gone to church or don't sit in the church service mm-hmm. very often, you're like, what are you talking about? Mm-hmm. I think my personality is more inclined to maintaining traditions and structures. Um, and I, I think there's a lot of value in liturgy and in structure, um, even if people misuse it. To me, that's not an issue with the tradition. To me, that's an issue with the people. Mm, with the heart. Um, like just even this dressing up for church thing. Like I think to some degree, I kind of a- agree that like if you're going into the quote house of God, like not literally, right? But if you're going into a place of worship, like you ought not look like 
a bum, you know? But and like, Jesus I know, so like, the there's, bum. <laughs> that's well, the that's thing. true. But so to me, it's the, to me, the problem comes with condemnation. Mm. I'm okay. I'm okay for a long time, actually during college. Um, I went to, um, a church that didn't have a, well, they were a Presbyterian, which is, yes, which, um, (laughs) is like kind of like considered to be more conservative, Mm -hmm. but this church, um, the demographic within it was a majority like African American and Mm. and Latino American, Mm. um, which is super awesome for like worship and all that kind of stuff. We had a lot of like really awesome, like. Ladies were just like dancing in the aisle, which is like unheard of for the PCA. And so, but like my friends and I, we wore a suit to church every Sunday, Hmm. you know? And it was like a way for us to, I think for me personally, like it started as a, well, like, oh, like everyone, like my friends are doing it. But also it was kind of like, and it sort of turned into like the spiritual practice of like, I'm preparing myself to, to go and worship. Um, and it was it wasn't something that I would necessarily condemn others because there were people that showed up in like baggy pants and big shirts and hats that were you know I guess sideways sideways. hats were a little (laughs) a little out of fashion Mm. now but um but like I think traditions aren't like I agree traditions should not be used to condemn Mm -hmm. um because that's not biblical because Jesus condemned people who condemned using traditions yeah um but I do think that for for people who are seeking structure in a world that's kind of all like away with the structure, like there's no universal truth. Everyone just kind of do whatever feels good for you. And there's no like real rigid rules in society that have to follow because it's all all a social construct. Just do whatever you want. <laughs> I feel personally called, <laughs> called out. Well, called out it's not little. just you. It's the society is <laughs> telling us like, mm-hmm. just do whatever. Right. And I think there's a ton of value in grounding ourselves in traditions that are bigger than our own individual preferences. And there's something like there's something selfless, I guess, in taking on something that I'm personally not comfortable with. Um, just thinking like having been having visited like an Anglican church before and like the ceremony and walking up with like incense and this mm. lighting, all this kind of stuff that's very, very strange and foreign, but also like directed my heart to things that I hadn't really thought about before because Mm. like the Bible does talk about like the aroma of God, like, Mm. and then presenting our bodies. Exactly. And when you go into like an old school cathedral, like it draws your attention up, which like, that's great. You know, like I want my attention to be, so I don't know. That's my, that's my ramble. (laughs) I think that I really liked how you were talking about, using these maybe what could be considered as liturgical practices as spiritual disciplines. Like here you were saying that it was like a way to prepare your heart to go mm-hmm. to church when you were dressing up. But I tend, I think I tend, I don't tend to be someone who, who loves checkboxes and rules that others place on me. I'm mm-hmm. like really good you at doing it to myself. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. But, but I can imagine when you walk into a place Okay, hold on. Let me think of how I want to phrase this. Do you? I think what you're maybe what you're about to talk about is like if you walk into a place and everyone's dressed up, you feel condemned, even if no one told you. Yes, yeah, that's what I was going to get at. Like if you were to go to the ballet, and Mm. you were like, oh, you had no real concept of what 
ballet attire was, right? Mm -hmm. You'd never been before. Someone was like, you would love the ballet. And you're like, all right, you got your ticket or whatever. And you walk in and you walk in in jeans and a t-shirt, even if not a single person even looks at you twice, but they're all in ball gowns and suits. And you're, and you're even not even, let's not even say baggy pants and a sideways hat. Even if you're in, you know, yeah, like, a cotton yeah. dress, you're going to be like, holy smokes. <laughs> like I should, I am, I shouldn't be here. I don't belong here. And it mm -hmm. makes you less likely to want to come. And I think, I think that, and then not just even with dressing, but in other parts of liturgy, there's that problem where the practice itself condemns people who come in seeking, mm. um, because it's foreign, but mm. maybe in, maybe at the same time, it could make people who appreciate the rules and the structures appreciate it too. Mm. And we'll be right back after this break. Welcome to Fun Facts with Abigail. Did you know that Indonesia is home to some of the shortest people in the world? Though there are short people and tall people everywhere, Indonesia is home to some of the shortest people in the world. When taking both genders into account, the average adult is around 5 feet 1.8 inches. People in Bolivia don't tend to be much taller, with an average adult height of 5 feet 2.4 inches. The tallest people live among us in the Netherlands, where the average adult height is 6 feet. This has been Fun Facts with Abigail. Catch you next time. Welcome back. Before the break, we were talking a little bit about how um, liturgy can make people feel condemned, even if we are not in and our, our, of ourselves condemning people who aren't following the liturgical practices. And Candace, I think you said you had a thought. When I was in college, one of my, uh, I think it was a social justice class when I was in uh, my master's program, um, it, they, part of the requirement was to go visit a religious house that you had no connection to even within your same belief system. So I really wanted to go to a mosque, but my parents were not down for it. So <laughs> I went to a Jewish uh, tabernacle mm. that was like five blocks from my university. It was really close. And it was a beautiful little small, it was like, I think it was a house originally. And uh, I met with a Bible study, like I emailed ahead of time and was like, hi, I'm here. For, I'd like to visit it because of a class. And is there any way I can come watch? And I came on, the I think it's the day before Sabbath because they do a reading that's at the same time every week around the world every day or every religious or Jewish body does it at the same time the same calendar year they read the same scriptures over mm -hmm. and over so if on January 15th you walked into a tabernacle in Arkansas versus one in Taiwan they're reading the same scriptures which I think is pretty cool but I like sat down and I remember they were very careful about um starting at the right time. Like they looked at four different watches all at once and they were like, okay, okay, okay. And then the first person started. And then as soon as they finished, the next person started and the next person after. And I think I remember reading part of it. I like remember jump, jumping in for a piece of it. And then they finished the passage and then everyone just kind of breathed a sigh of like, we, we gave this, it was kind of a, it was a really cool, like we felt, we felt connected to like other, or I, at least I felt like a, a like a, 
it was like I was feeling connected to other groups mm-hmm. around the world just because I knew we were all reading the exact same passage at the same time, even though the passage was something like, and then they turned the camp and they turned it facing to the West. And then they <laughs> they went mm-hmm. 40 miles in this direction. And then they stopped again and had another camp. It was like very like record-based passage in the Old Testament, of course. But uh, I think that there's some... Is this the wrong word? Magic in in like doing oh something <laughs> that you know is like it like many people are doing it or simultaneously many people are doing it. I think that's kind of the appeal behind New Year's Eve. I don't like, think it's I don't think it's magic. I think it's when you when you're no longer focusing on what you individually prefer mm. and you're turning your mind to what we're collectively doing together. And I think that's part of the reason, like your example of walking into a church where everyone's all dressed up, like to be blunt, the people gathered there aren't there to make you feel comfortable when you walk in, right? That's not the, the goal of church is not to, when someone walks in that they immediately feel that they belong right away. Is I, I kind of disagree. I would disagree I, with like, that. Not, I mean, not sorry, sorry, long. sorry. Like, not, I don't mean, like, they spiritually, everyone there, I don't mean, I, I don't mean spiritually. I mean that when you walk into a place, it's not, church buildings or services or human traditions aren't, in my mind, they're not there so that a newcomer walking in is automatically like, oh, I get all of this. I understand what everything's going on. I think there's some degree of like, there's a mystery there. There's, a, I think there's a mystery of like, why are these like, why are these people all dressed up? But I right, like for an opera, why are they all dressed up? I think, but I think we're talking about two different things, right? When you talk about the opera or the ballet, you're doing it because of form and function, and to feel something connected greater to you. It's the tradition mm-hmm. of going to the ballet. It's the tradition mm-hmm. of going to the opera. It's the tradition of New Year's Eve, yeah. like to watch the ball drop. But I really strongly feel like church building should be a place where you feel the Holy Spirit and you can feel at peace in there, and you're not worried as much about your comfort. Now, I also think non-believers often come into come into churches. I guess this is something that I've seen. Maybe I have seen specifically because my parents talk about it all the time. Have you seen that new person? You know, that, you know all of that yeah, kind of yeah. stuff. Um, to, but to have someone come in and be like, oh, I could never come back, who is spiritually mm-hmm. seeking, to mm-hmm. me seems dangerous mm-hmm. because that's what happened with, that's just what Jesus came to the earth to break the patterns of, right? Like to prevent keeping people out of his presence, to prevent people from feeling they had to buy stuff at the gates of the church to be able to, or the gates of the tabernacle to be able to go in Mm -hmm. and to be able to offer, to be able to talk to the prostitutes and to be able to talk to the sinners and meet them where they were at. But Mm -hmm. did, did, but in, but Jesus didn't do so by going to the tabernacle and being like, stop making sacrifices. But he went right. and he destroyed he all He went the and destroyed, well, he went and destroyed people profiting individually off of a tradition that was started by God. Yeah. Right. But I, like so you were talking offerings. about church buildings, like the purpose of a church building. I don't think we should have church buildings. In my in my opinion, I don't think we should. I'm I'm all for churches meeting in homes. Like, oh yeah, I went to a. House I mean that's fine. Like, I'm I'm, I'm support, I support like, that too. Well, so I that, that's why I have a hard time thinking about the purpose of a church building because in my mind, church buildings are a, like even the building of a church building 
is like Jesus came saying like, I'm the temple. I will dismantle it and raise it up and, and then raise it again yeah. in three days. And I know that it's like he came to fulfill the law, not to, to abolish the law. But if he is our temple now, we shouldn't, I don't think we should be needing to continue to build a space for us to meet in if every time we build a space, it ends up becoming our thing. It ends up becoming the thing that we're, that we're going for. And that's why I feel kind of torn between like, I like am seeking and then seeing the value in liturgy, but also seeing the downfall of people whenever there's money involved, whenever there's any sort of property, whenever there's anything where we're like, oh, we have as a church, we have this building that we have to take care of. We have a budget meetings and we have all this stuff that we have to worry about with a building. And then when a church dies or when a church gets transformed into a bar, oh my gosh, people lose their minds because it's like, that's a church. And I'm like, no, it's not. The church was the people. That's a building. It's got pretty glass, but it's still just a building. And yes, when you go into it, your eyes are called up, but the church isn't dead when that church building is abandoned. Yes, the body may have split up and dispersed like the diaspora, but it's not dead. It's just elsewhere, you know? No, I agree. And, and to kind of agree with you and go kind of like what you were talking about, like the tabernacle, I really don't think that even even with church buildings, let's say that we don't get to disperse in house churches, which I also think would be ideal. Mm-hmm. Um they're not the same. The function of a tabernacle was a place for you to be able to uphold the old law, right? To be able to uphold what was happening, like the the commandments and the um, laws given in the Old Testament. Whereas Jesus came to abolish that and mm-hmm. to be able to have our lives transformed in a personal relationship with Jesus, mm-hmm. which is, I can, we can put it into pieces of, and I know that I'm like a on the extreme end of this, maybe deviating, we can put that some of that into liturgy. Mm-hmm. You should pray every day and you should read your Bible and you should do X, Y, and Z, and you should do all of these things. And that will make you a good Christian, right? But really the point is that you love and have a relationship with Jesus. And I think sometimes the liturgy lets people hide behind not really having a transformed heart. Whereas maybe for other people, it allows you to like put your relationship into steps. Hmm. I think I want to clarify what I said earlier about, I think, I think I I agree with you guys in principle. Um, I want to clarify the part where I said like people walking in and feeling like they belong immediately. Mm -hmm. Um, Thinking of actually the first time I went to that church that I was telling you guys about, Mm. that was majority African American and Latino American. Like I'd never been in a church that was like that. Mm -hmm. And the first time I walked in, I felt out of place Mm -hmm. because here I am half white, half Asian, like not really. I mean, there were, there were plenty of white people there, but like, I didn't feel like I I belonged And the music. I never heard their music before. Mm -hmm. There was a choir up there. There was a lady dancing in the aisle with a tambourine, Mm -hmm. just like all this hooting and hollering. It was like really awesome, but very foreign and like uncomfortable at first. Um, But it's, their worship of God wasn't about, it's not about me and how I perceive them. Mm. Um, and it's like, I get, I think that's what I'm trying to get to is like, if I enter into a, a church like that, I don't think it's their job to cater to my vision of what worship ought to look like mm-hmm. or how mm-hmm. singing ought to look like. Right. It's, I go into a place that is culturally a blend 
right? It's not one that I'm familiar with. And they sing songs that like appeal to things that they struggle with. Mm -hmm. And that's awesome. And that like, they shouldn't cater their music to make it so that when I come in that I feel automatically like, no, they should cater it for people who are worshiping there. And so I think that's what I'm trying to say earlier. Like I, the way I said it came across as like, we shouldn't care about people who come into our churches. But like, (laughs) all I'm saying is like the church space ought to draw people there to worship God truly. Right. And, and Candace, are you into, okay, whatever. (laughs) No, no, no. I'm sorry. I was, I was, I knew that Abigail had something and I was just putting my name up in line. Okay. Go ahead. Um, You just reminded me of something. It wasn't that I was going to disagree with you. You just reminded me of something. I'm also not going to disagree with you. I completely agree with you. I think that churches should be specific to the body around them. And Mm -hmm. I think that when we uphold liturgical practices, you're trying to force everyone to fit into certain boxes Mm. and certain molds and traditions that have certain specific ways of things being done, which... Which emerge in every do. cultural group. Right. 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 But if you're trying to push it across all churches and uphold that as starting to be like, this is how churches run mm-hmm. and this is how we need to be able to worship God, that you're taking some of that ability for it to go. Now, those things are not usually, uh, you can't dance in the aisles with a tambourine, but they are things like you have to usually Wear pass a plate when you're or in, pass in, a plate or never cut your hair if you're in certain like Pentecostal tradition. But I'm thinking ones that are across. Oh, sorry. Across. Yeah. You no, know, you're right. You're right. Mm-hmm. And and that, that appeals to a certain group of people, right? Mm-hmm. Like, it totally does. And so long as, you know, it points you ultimately to Jesus, who cares? Like, I don't care if you don't cut your hair, if you mm-hmm. love Jesus as your personal savior. Just like, I hope you don't care that I have tattoos just mm-hmm. because if I have Jesus is my personal savior, right? But the idea of liturgy and traditions being expected across the board because someone at some point said so starts to squeeze out the ability for each church to emerge in their own way. Mm. I was was just going to say two things. One, you reminded me of this weird tension with music in the Christian church. Yeah. Like for ex- and and I actually kind of think it's ironic because I feel like you would probably say it's cultural appropriation to to like like gospel music. I had never listened to gospel music growing up until moving to Taiwan and being kind of separated from the I don't know if you call it the CMC, like the Christian music contemporary Christian yeah. CCM. CCM. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I I still listen to CCM music, but which sounds so weird for me to say out loud as like an <laughs> acronym, but like I now one of my like every Friday I listen I pl- blast gospel music in my classroom while kids are coming into school like I look forward to playing music that that is different from how I listened to on the radio growing up even like I remember we had two radio stations one was the very like played uh um Mercy Me on repeat uh Air One and nothing against Mercy Me it's just like they beat to death certain songs over and over on this one radio. And then the other one, it was the little more edgy radio that was, it was called air one and it played skillet and red and a little bit more heavy, like heavy metal or like rock sounding Christian music. And even looking back, I'm like, it wasn't even like that intense, but still it was intense for the, the Christian music traditional of the time. And there's still such a huge tension between Christian music, quote unquote, CCM music and gospel music, even to the point of like, the Dove Awards. Do you remember the Dove Awards? Have you all seen those before? That's like the Christian Emmys or what's what's the music award? Is it Grammys or Emmys? I forget. Why are you looking Gram- at me? Grammys. I think Grammys. So it's like the Christian Grammys. And I remember... What's it called? 
uh, the Dove Awards. Like normally it's oh Dove. Oh, oh I thought yeah, you said dove. the Devil Words. I was no. like, why would they call <laughs> that Dove was, uh, like like a flying right. dove? Oh, no, okay, yeah, got yeah, it. yeah. No, okay, Dove. So, like, oh, that's the dove very awards, peaceful and lo- it's very peaceful, cheesy and, and stuff like that. Yes, of course. Oh gosh, that's like most like, of the Christian music industry. Is it's cheesy. <laughs> like like there's there's a anyway. So like with Dove Awards, like last year in the middle of all of the Black Lives Matter protests, I remember. Um, Kirk Franklin, for example, he... Uh, oh, dude, he's so good. He's so good. He is, like, a giant in Christian music and just, like... You should check him out, Abigail. Oh, my gosh. Kirk oh Franklin? Oh, my gosh. He, I'll type he sang, in. like, one Do song and with Hezekiah Walker. in, like, 2005. Hezekiah Walker okay, wait, 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 while you're I there. Yes. Hezekiah Walker. Like, wait, what's the first one? Kirk Franklin. Kirk? Yeah, Kirk? we'll send it. We'll yeah. send it to you later. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, like, Kirk Franklin, 10 out of 10, incredible, like, a pioneer of just gospel music in general and incredible singer, incredible lyricist, everything. And he was, like, removed from the Dove Awards last year because of his stance on Black Lives Matter. Like, they were like, we don't want you to be speaking out publicly against police officers because we don't feel like that represents our values as the Dove Awards. And we're like, no, Dove Awards, you represent... I, are you supposed to represent Christian music or white Christian music? Like what's going on there? There was a lot of political stuff around that. And, but it also, I think came back to like what is considered Christian music versus gospel. Like those are two different genres of music, which still blows my mind a little bit, but I get also that that's, there's a little bit of cultural association there. Anyway, the second thing I was thinking of was, um, what you said earlier, James, about tabernacle being this place where we come together to worship Jesus and I was thinking about how there's, you know, that, you know, that John 15 passage about like remain in me and I will remain in you, like no. remain in my love mm-hmm. and like the vine and the branches, the whole metaphor, you know, like, the vine and the branches thing, you know, the vine and the branches thing. We're like growing on Jesus. It's fine. So there's like this word that he uses Or is there. he growing in us? Both. Okay. Yeah. So there's, there's the Greek word there is like mayonnaise for it looks like mayonnaise but it's not and it's and it's about like remaining but the only other there's two other times it's used in the new testament and both times are about like staying or living in a house and it's like so are we whenever we're going like leaving our homes to go worship jesus i feel like we're we're in part like this is this is a stretch this is a stretch i think to I, I think I know where you're going with this. Well, I like, think why don't we invite him into our space? What, I, what I'm, you know? my my example there about newcomers walking in and feeling out of place, I think would be the same if I walked into someone's house that mm. was also majority African-American. Yeah. They were singing music that I was For not sure. familiar For with. Sure. But I think like even the imposing structure of our churches, they, they can be beautiful, they can colorize upward, but I feel like when they're really old, then if you are really young, you feel the contrast just in the shortness of your lifespan. You're just like, oh my gosh, this building took 300 years to construct. I can't but casually a, go in me, there. that's a good thing. But it's like, it's like you feel like you can't casually go in, whereas like a Starbucks, you can casually go in. A McDonald's, you can casually go in. Like you don't have, like well, okay, the, the Church of Apple is Starbucks very different. Starbucks and churches serve much different functions. They do, mind. but like as far as our, our willingness outside of the church looking in, like what, what things do we put up as barriers between someone who doesn't speak our Christianese to someone who doesn't speak our like clothing language, who doesn't speak our like structure language, all these things that I really like when churches teach people as they go, they're like, 
And for all of you newcomers here, we do this thing every every week where we uh, pass this plate. Don't feel like you have to do anything with it. This is for our members. Like they explain. I really like it when they explain it because then they're teaching people who don't know the language of the tradition. Yeah. They're understanding no, what's going on. I agree. Yeah, I would agree with that too. Yeah. All right. Well, I would like to leave with two thoughts. The first thought is as a Christian community, we need to be careful not to let traditions and liturgy become idols. I think it's just, it's a fine line in between it being something that can be helpful and productive and it being something that we idolize and also a fine line between it being something helpful and productive and detrimental to other people. And I think it's important to place our hearts um, or examine our hearts as we move forward with that. The second thing is I have would like to quote my husband, who is possibly one of the wisest people. Amen. I know. Okay. He goes, traditions in and, of, in and amongst themselves are not wrong, but when traditions are held as gospel, they can hurt people. Traditions need to be flexible. Traditions need to be looked at as this is something we have always done. It's not right. It's not wrong. And we need to be comfortable examining our own patterns of behavior. And in an even more difficult way, we need to become comfortable assessing the behaviors of our forefathers. Mm. And once again, you've reached inconclusive end of the inconclusive podcast. Sharing is caring. If you like this episode, please share it with your friends and family. Also, you can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at the inconclusive podcast. Talk to you next time.